Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. These shows are brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. Well, Heidi, uh, we have a really interesting guest today because he's a, a very fine published author and has written a great book and has also unfortunately had a child loss and would just kind of brought him into our world. And uh, his book's very inspirational. Heidi, do you want to tell us about our guest? Sure, I'd love to, Mom. His name is Ken Brack. And Ken is a narrative nonfiction author who, after the death of his 18-year-old son, Mike, founded with his wife, Hope Floats Healing and Wellness Center. It's a nonprofit bereavement center in Kingston, Massachusetts. Awakened by the death of his son, reeling in the desolate place that no parent ever expects to be, Ken set out to see how people rebuilt their lives after catastrophic loss, chronicling his interviews and journey in his latest book, especially for you, Finding a New Purpose After Unspeakable Loss. Here it is. It's a great and book. I've got a copy too. Interesting it stories. It's wonderful. And he also has a, a YouTube. You can go and look at some of the things he's been doing, some of the people that he interviewed. And I also have to say his, his uh, center, Hope Floats Healing and Wellness, is just a beautiful place. And thank you for everything that you're doing, Ken, and welcome to our show. Heidi, uh, thanks for having me, and Gloria as well. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful to have you on. And uh, you've written other books. You've been writing for years. You were a uh, um, high school uh, or a college? A couple of careers, a former full-time journalist, and I taught uh, English for a number of years at a high school in Boston, and I've been in publishing and um, needed to really write this book. Uh, in the years after as we were trying to make sense out of uh, my son's uh, death in 2002 and that that led to um, Creating especially for you finding a new purpose after catastrophic loss Wow um, Now tell us about your son. I know our audience is going to want a little uh, know a bit about your son Sure. Uh, Michael was my oldest son. He was 18 years old. He was just a one of those bright lights when he walked into a room and um, was a great, terrific athlete uh, in high school, a soccer player, just an electric player. And he had an electric personality too. And um, he was finding his way, uh, wasn't in college yet, um, but was heading there. And um, what happened to Mike, he was out with um, three buddies. They were underage drinking and there was a horrific crash. Uh, Mike was not the driver. Um, but both he and one of his buddies who was celebrating a 20th birthday died in the crash. And of course we were, our family was reeling. We have two other uh, children now, young adults. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we, you know, stammered through it. Um, but what, you know, what really started to happen in, in some months afterwards, after our, our shock and after we had the information started to get our arms around what really had happened. Uh, they were underage drinking at a bar and there were a lot of issues around that. Mm -hmm. But what our initial response, which led to creating the bereavement center eventually, was to, you know, kind of a primal cry that many of us going through this may have, you know, how can I prevent another family? How mm -hmm. can we help another family going through um, this kind of ordeal, if not, if not preventing it in the first place. So my wife and I briefly, we got involved with some great other parents 
in our regional school district trying to bring drunk driving prevention, safe driving mm -hmm. programs to the school district. Did that for a few years. But then my wife, Denise, really had this vision um, that, that went you know, right alongside this of, can we create a place, uh, a safe place for other families where people in, not no one's in the same boat per se, that cliche, but walking you know, a somewhat similar mm -hmm. road where they can be together, find accompaniment, um, and, and maybe find some solace and, and ways to grow and, and strategies to help other families who've lost a child. It, it started in that direction. So we eventually created this um, nonprofit called Hope Floats Healing and Wellness Center, as you mentioned. Um, we're in our ninth. I love that name, don't you, Heidi? Yeah. Hope Floats? Yes. Yeah. yeah, Denise, we did not know about the movie at the time. Uh, came on, uh, my, my soulmate, um, my wife, Denise, uh, just, you know, just just organically came up to her and um, we ran with it and we are um, south of the city of Boston and we serve um, a lot of communities in the southeastern part of the state including greater Boston and um, we're one of some really fine um, centers um, you know children's based focused bereavement centers in Massachusetts we're a relative newcomer compared to some others like the children's room in Arlington mass for one but um, we're part of that network oh it's a network that's nice it's important oh, yeah. to network nowadays yeah yeah that's helped a lot and have, have you get connected with the compassionate friends at all um, we were at the national conference um, really? going on two years ago um, initially um, Denise went to a couple of um, compassionate friends meetings um it was a little bit far from our home at the time and just with other things so we didn't yeah. we weren't that involved uh, but we've come to really appreciate the work and certainly the community yeah well let's go back to uh, way back and then i want to come to your doing your book back to some of the feelings you had after your son was killed because i know our audience is wondering how you've dealt with those and what kind of feelings did you come up with and then what did you find out from other people in the book and what have you learned sure um, you know that isolation that that acute sense of um now we're um you know we're, we're this other we're in this other category as as probably you know many of you of your viewers um, in my heart goes out to others who are going through this, um, that, that sense of who do we, who do we turn to, where do we turn? Um, but, you know, other than going to, um, kind of a clinical setting and I have nothing against an institutional setting per se. And, um, and we have, we actually have counselors, um, you know, licensed therapists at our center, but it's, it's in a location, it, it's a home and, it, and it's a mm -hmm. peaceful restorative place. So that, that, that has helped bridge the isolation. Um, all, also the, really the, the struggle of uh, how, how can we stay connected to our son? Is that even possible? As we're trying to just make sense of the cause of his death, you know, in the first place, but then, leading from there how you know mike's life like so many other young people was cut short capriciously um so while you're you're trying to deal especially with me as a as a dad i had my own you know guilt around this of you know his life wasn't fulfilled well how how, how can i stay connected with him in a way that's 
um, you know, his legacy, appreciating what his life brought to so many other people and his legacy, and then doing something that's in part remembering him, but really creating something new. I'm seeing thing, twofold things with Ken thing here. There's a, an idea that people want to stay connected and how to do that now that the person has physically died, stay connected in a new and different way, and then, like you said, create something out of it in order to have some kind of meaning around the loss. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm thinking, because I think it's important that we make some kind of meaning, not that they were meant to die, because I, you know, that's not what I'm talking about, but right. how, do we, how do we make the world better in their, in their honor and their legacy and pay tribute to them going forward? I know that Scott is my guiding light, and I know that you have done this with Michael through Hope Floats because you are changing so many lives and helping so many people out there. And I love your, the, the Hope Floats Center because it is so welcoming and so inviting. Like you said, it's not an, a sterile institution. It's a place where you want to go. You can see that, that hope and healing takes place there just by looking at it. Mm -hmm. It does. And I appreciate that. And, and Michael um, is a part of that. His, his presence, you know, however different people may um, may think about um, someone's spiritual presence. Um, you know, he he's there. It's it's not always obvious every day, but um, like for my my role, I help with all the planning and um, you know financial stuff, budgeting. But I also take care of the the buildings and the grounds. And in a way, for it's a way for me to. It's not really work. Usually, it's a way to, to kind of give back. And Mike's presence is there, um, and. But just to step back, of course, you know, and this leads into my book a little bit, that what we did, we, Denise and I, we kind of became activists in a sense. While we were seekers, you know, just going through the, the spiritual questions and opening, trying to open ourselves up to what are the possibilities of, of staying connected with our son? Of course, you're, you're questioning, you know, the the meaning of life, your, your identity as a family has been thrown out the window. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we know that not um, everyone or maybe many, many couples or, or adults um, need to become activists. Um, there, there are so many other ways. Others just, and I'm, what I'm sort of getting at here is my book, you know, my book gets into, tells the stories of a number of different families um, who have a, a variety of responses to this kind of really tough stuff. And for some, it's just this, um, you know, this heightened um, appreciation of life right in front of us or of community, just really quiet things, or it's, or it's, um, a, you know, finding a way to um, new um, avenues of, to be spiritual or in your faith or, or even, you know, rejecting the traditional faith and going in another direction. So those are some of the responses. And when you interviewed all these people, because I know you had a lot of interviews you did, was there anything that you found that was surprising or not necessarily? Um, that's a great question. The, the breadth of responses, and I'll just tell a little bit about the book and how I went about it. Um, several years after we lost Mike, as you know, I was just doing a lot of reading and, and kind of my own spiritual searching, if you will. I became inspired by the stories of, of uh, you know, everyday people in sometimes in different places across this country 
doing some extraordinary things, maybe running with the legacy of a loved one, perhaps being a real activist, um, going into the very forces that, that caused, whether it was disease or a, a sudden calamity, mass shooting, you know, committing themselves to address those forces, or also just um, acts of service, reaching out to help humanity. Um, so I, I became a seeker of those accounts or stories, if you will, and wanted to tell them. And I, it, what propelled me was I needed to tell these people's stories to make any sense of our own. Mm -hmm. Because as Mike's dad, I had so much to figure out. Yeah. Uh, so I wondered what you found out about yourself. Wow. Um, well, I, I resolved um, a lot of my own flaws and, um, you know, some, some things just as, as a dad who's lost his oldest son, when you, you may feel like, oh, if, if I had had that other conversation with him, if we had, you know, in some way, and I know there's little control over this, it had, uh, you know, so if he wasn't in the car that night, if he hadn't, you know, if he hadn't made those poor choices along with his friends. Um, so I struggled with some of that, but I, I, I think I learned that I to face uh, both, you know, some of my flaws perceived or otherwise, and to really, really face the causes of uh, Mike's death, where they went, I won't go into it here, but where they went to underage drink. Um, there was a lot of politics and just seediness in that, in that area. And I, as I was used to be an investigative reporter, so I have the skill set. I knew, you know, I went at it. I went at it really hard. Mm -hmm. I went at it as Mike's dad, but sometimes I crossed the line into like, am I a journalist or am I, mm -hmm. you know, Mike's father? Eventually I reconciled that and just, you know, to be his dad and to put some of it, to get, to resolve to the extent that I could, not closure, you know, the, the, but well, well the, thing, the thing about it, Ken, in, in the investigative journalist piece is that you were there as his dad, but you were also there to prevent any other kids from, from ever having this happen to them. Trying to. So yeah. I love that you had that skill set because then you could go at it hard and say, okay, what's going on that these kids are able to get into these places when they're not of age? And obviously this is happening at a big level every single day. We know it is. What he did was not nor was not abnormal at all. Right. Um, so yes, who's letting these kids in and who's giving them alcohol and all that? And I like that you kind of because you are saving lives in doing that. You know, you don't know the impact that that's had. It's had an impact. I hope so. I believe it has. You know, even even if it's limited, that's okay. And for me, you know, I I needed to let it go because it was churning me up a little bit. Yeah. And I mean that you know that's an if an issue around the wrath, how much we take on the anger. One of the, the principal um, men, other men in, in the book, whose story I tell, he mm -hmm. has to deal with um, his um, rightful wrath at a convicted killer who killed mm -hmm. his daughter while she was in her dormitory bed at Lehigh University in 1985. Wow. Wow. Um, but he, you know, eventually he let go of some of that and it brought some healing to he and his, him and his wife and, and you know, the family. Um, but that's, you know, that was a long process. So part of, part of my book, spending time with some of these other families 
goes into these, you know, the real switchbacks, if you will, the back and forth and the low points, but mm-hmm. how do we come out of it? Um, how, you know, question. what's, what's the trajectory towards finding solace to finding connection, keeping connections with loved ones, et cetera. I, I think that's key. Yeah. So in this book, you're giving, uh, if I, if I was to read your book, I would read wonderful stories, uh, inspirational. What kinds of tips would I take away for it for myself to help myself through the grieving process? Sure. Uh, great question. And just to, to introduce the, the book is narrative driven. So, um, I am, you know, telling the stories of these other families and it's, literally, you know, bookmarked on both ends, if you will, or anchored with, with our ordeal and our response. Uh, some of the, 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 fir, the main thing, there, there's several, but I, you know, I think, I think one as I'm, you know, you well know that it's every parent or every adult, every family member, I think should, you know, listen to his or her intuition and heart and everyone follows their own path and dealing with this. Um, but I think my, my main sort of takeaway from these families is keeping those of us who keep our hearts open to our grief, who are inquisitive and it may be around these questions like, we've talked about trying to stay connected um, or looking into um, the, you know, the, the forces of, of what happened to our child um, and, and being open to, to trying to make meaning uh, from their loss. Um, first for others who have to shutter the room and walk away and that's, that's okay, there's no judgment. But for those who, even in a sense, continue to plunge into the, the questions, the ordeal, the, the, the capricious event, if you will, itself, um, enough so that they had their arms around it. And then, then dealing with um, all the, the complexities, the contradictions, the paradoxes in their lives as they tried to become activists or, um, you know, have, have lasting memorials to their son or daughter. Um, you know, so many of us do memorial scholarships and things like that, which are, which can be wonderful, but those have a cost every year. We did a soccer tournament for our son for seven years and it became this incredible community event because we have guys and girls played on co-ed teams and it became this day of them just joining in camaraderie and also tribute to Mike, even, even those who didn't know him, but there was a, you know, there was a cost to that. So we, so I'm coming back to my wife and I, you know, we need to just keep being open and looking at that and ex- examining this is great yet, you know, at some, at some point we need to let this go right. and just, just keep having those conversations. Um, while How long has it been for you? Yes. It's been 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just really, um, fascinated in hearing you talk because it's, it's so interesting to hear your process and going through. And I think that Heidi, to me, one of the biggest hopes that you bring to people, frankly, is that they can see that there is a process and you can keep moving along. Even after this many years, you're doing 
fabulous things and uh, and I think enjoying them. Yeah, yeah, we, we certainly are. I mean, as as anyone who's um, involved in the nonprofit world or doing any, you know, similar work around bereavement, as you both well know, it's uh, there's there can be a lot of weight at times. Um, Denise, my wife, is the, the director of our small nonprofit and she wears too many hats and um, we're, we're both working on that. But yet, and here this leads to another thread in the book, um, what what someone else called, this is after the 9-11 attacks in New York City, and this was actually a minister down at St. Paul's Chapel right beside the World Trade Center site, um, about 15 months or so after, it wasn't that much, but um, some months after the, the attacks, when St. Paul's Chapel had been turned into a center nurturing um, the first responders who would come in there for lunch or taking a break, um, sleeping on the pews, getting massages, coffee, all this. He called it um, what was going on there, reciprocity of gratitude, meaning the, you know, the, the, the firefighters, the utility workers, all the first responders would come in and they were so gracious for the volunteers who were feeding them and giving them a massage and a break. But the volunteers, the circle, were all in awe of what these responders were doing. And that was part of the, the spirit of the, the initial response throughout this country, the unity after 9-11. That's, that's one piece of my book goes into some families with this. So that, that reciprocity of gratitude also plays out in a small nonprofit like ours at Hope Floats, where, as I, you know, I just mentioned, my wife wears too many hats and um, we're trying to give her a break, but we're infused by new energy all the time. People, um, you know, bereaved parents like ourselves who've gone through the program, so many people want to give back. They, they want to be asked. They crave to do something. And that's a way for them to pitch in. And that doesn't mean they're going to go off and start their own, you know, big deal. It doesn't matter. You do, you do what you can. Right. And, but that, that whole reciprocity, um, just really, uh, resonated with me and the story, some of the stories, this is about one quarter of the book on the nine 11 families. It, it doesn't matter that, you know, that was going on, um, 18 years ago. Um, it's, Still going on. Heidi certainly knows that because she worked with the 9-11 families okay. at Columbia, right, Heidi? Columbia. Yeah. yeah, I worked with FD. I worked with firefighter families for 10 years after 9-11 in New York City. And and I think that some of the, what some of what you're saying resonates in, in the idea that our grief is constantly transforming. So I feel like, you know, you can do things for a while and then you can go do something else and do something else and that's okay. We don't have to set up things that last forever. Um I think that's part of the healing. And I also feel like being of service, like you have been and like, you know, my mom and I have been, helps us in our own grief and helps us to heal. When we turn our grief out towards service and out of ourselves, it really does help in the healing process. Absolutely. And um, transformation, um, although it, you know, it sounds like a buzzword or even a cliche perhaps to some, uh, that's, that's really what my book is about it, it's, mm-hmm. it and it's it's the wrenching process it's the ups and downs it's it's brutally honest in parts but it's you know to me and hopefully to people who read it um it's it's the arc of coming out of it and and that that directly relates to the work at our small nonprofit. um and i wouldn't say everybody goes through it feels transformed no mm-hmm. way right. but it, finding 
some solace. Maybe it, it starts with how, how the heck am I going to negotiate the holidays, my first holidays, the birthdays, all the things we, we have to deal with to forming a new community, even with, with say, um, one of our groups is around suicide loss and all the stigmas attached to that. And it's just, it's damning. And I don't know, but, but some of these moms and dads or sisters, brothers, you know, they'll, they'll carry on and go out for coffee once in a while. And they, they you know, it's, there's an alignment. There's. A- I love that, Ken, because they're grieving a community, which is so important because it normalizes what we're going through. And I think early on, it is normal just to say, how am I going to survive? Because that's where we all are. And then eventually, someday, hopefully, with, with organizations like yours and ours, it'll be not only how am I going to survive, but how am I going to thrive? And, st- and, and during all this, remain connected. Because we are connected. You are connected with Michael. I'm connected with Scott. We always will be. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Ken, we want to thank you for being on the show today and tell us. Uh, I know I saw that all the proceeds from your book go to Hope Floats. And uh, I certainly want to encourage everybody to get that book. And they can get it on Amazon, I guess. Where, where would you get it? And what's your website? Sure. Um, your local bookstore um, can order it through the major um, catalogs. And, and the book is on Amazon as well. Uh, my author's site is kenbrack.com, um, especially for you finding a new purpose after catastrophic loss. And I appreciate uh, the chance to, to share that with people. And, and my, you know, my hope is that um, pieces of it, if not the whole, will speak to each reader. You, you will find, whether you're a mom or dad, sister, brother, other relative, I think you'll find something that that will that will touch you um it's the book has a lot of breath and and it's not there are some parts that you know that that are heavy so it might you know you don't even have to go through all of it if that's not the right time for you so and your story is woven through it too which makes it very interesting well thank you we want to thank everybody for listening and watching the show today and we always want to remind you Heidi and I do that if you've lost hope Please lean on ours until you find your own and please visit us at opentohope.com.